No, I'm just kidding you. You could have walked in here with your books open and been by me. But just a little bit, just a little vest pocket review here, okay? When you find something, what are you usually doing? Looking for it, okay? Excellent. Paul gets a gold star. What do you usually find? What you're looking for, okay? So when we open the book, say tonight to John 21, that'd be an invitation. What are we looking for? Honestly, it's not academic. In your heart, what are you looking for? Is this a heart matter? Is this a matter of the heart? Or is God dealing in academics? You know, academics. They'll all be taught by God. This Christianity's educational process. To become a Jew, you don't have to have an education. You just have a mom and daddy. To become a Christian, you got to be educated in the fact Jesus is the Son of God. Yes, sir? I said you, I told you, but you didn't listen. I'm sorry. Jesus. Jesus. Are we looking for him? Then if we're looking for him, do we expect to find him? What are, we, what are we looking for? I know that ends with a preposition. I don't care. It's for emphasis. What are we looking for? Al said we're looking for Jesus. Well, we either are or we're not. And if we are, that's good. Is he in here? Mm-hmm. John already told us he's in here. Why are we looking for Jesus? What? What are we hoping to find? I could have said, I could have helped y'all out and said, who are we looking for? Because I want you to understand who and what go together. Who are we looking for? And I'm reading John 21. Who am I looking for? First thing, I'm looking for Jesus. He's the first who. I might be looking at Thomas called Didymus or Nathaniel or one of the two unnamed disciples or the sons of Zebedee or Simon Peter. They're all in there. I understand that. But I'm either looking for Jesus or not. And if you're in the habit of not, I suggest we start. And we hold, I have figured out why I am looking for something, especially in a garage, and I can't find it and I can't find it. And I can't find it. And the bad thing is, Al, Deborah probably already told me within about 10 square foot of where it was, and I can't find it, and I can't find it. Honey, I can't find it. Not all the time, but say 79.8% of the time, she'll come, walk up beside me, reach over there in front of me, pick up the thing I'm looking for, and hand it to me. (laughs) Now, why is that? We don't do hecklers in here. <laughs> I'm, I've, I've said, I can't find this blank. I can't, I can't find this blank. I've, I've said what I'm, I can't find it. I can't find it. What am I doing in my mind? Yes, sir? You're negative. You're telling yourself you can't find it instead of looking positively for it and focusing on what it is exactly that you're looking for. 
And why are you trying to make this personal, Al? Just because I've got personal illustration, you're trying to make it all personal and stuff. We're doing just fine till he started making this personal. When I'm thinking about what I'm looking for, guess what I'm thinking about in my mind? What I'm going to do with it? Why is it my fault? If I would have done this, I wouldn't have needed that. I need this. I don't have time to fit. What, what am I going to do when I find it? Because I'm going to need Bill's help anyway, and he can't, I can't. What, what? I'm thinking all this stuff I had to get my mind on what it is I'm looking for and keep seeing in my mind what, what is it and keep my mind focused. And when we've got a lot at stake and we're talking about stuff in here and that's big stuff. When it's your stuff, I can focus. When it's my stuff, then I get all emotional about it and I get upset when I can't find it. Now, now I've, I've quit looking for it and I'm starting to have an argument in my mind about why I can't find it. And then I, that's a whole nother thing. Brothers and sisters, that happens in Scripture all the time. Now, Bill, I'm going to single you out as a helper. I'm going to give you one shot unless you need two. <laughs> Why am I looking for Jesus in the Gospel of John? What is it, brother, I'm really wanting and trying to find? I picked on you because you say this word a lot. When I find Jesus, what do I find that would tell you why? I'm looking for Jesus. Yes, I am. Why? Am I working, looking for the word J-E-S-U-S? What? Give me another word for peace that's bigger than that. Starts with L-I-F-E. Is this in him? The life, think about this for just a second. The life that is in God Almighty. You see the living God? What does that tell you is in him? Life. What kind of life is it? It's eternal life. Because what kind of God is he? What Jesus bring when he came in him was life. And this life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness keeps forgetting to look for it. Darkness could not comprehend it. I got to understand when I'm looking in John 21, there's some stuff in here you're not going to understand just flippantly, just it's first grade English, it's first grade Greek. But I'll miss it. I'll get to fussing at myself and worrying about myself, and I'll miss it. That's because I have a problem. I'm a sinner. And sinners have that problem. 
We open John 21, start looking for ourselves as if it were a gigantic community photograph and you know you're in it. And every time I hand somebody a great big picture with a bunch of people in it, family reunion, here's your picture, first person you look for. It's you. Gospel of John's not any different. You open the Gospel of John, first person you're looking for is you. I think that fits. That's our tendency to do that, isn't it? So let's open the Gospel of John. And since we're looking for Jesus and really what we're wanting is life because what's afforded us is life, then I'm looking for that. What is it? John's already told us, here are some things, here are some things that you need to keep in mind when you get to chapter 21. And you need to keep it in mind when you get to chapter 2 and 3 and 4 and put a dash mark to 21 because that's the last one. Every time I'm looking in the Gospel of John, what am I bringing with me to help me understand and to help me find him and have this result? What he said in the first 18 verses because it is to the prologue. And now that we're at the end of things, we're fixing to see tonight, it is too also the epilogue. No, it is. It is the introduction, if you like that term better. It is the conclusion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, as we head over here to chapter 21, what if we think about let me come over here so I'll give you the right verse number. What if we thought about verse 14 of chapter 1? The Word became flesh and made His dwelling. Made His dwelling. He tabernacled among us. He made His dwelling among us. What did He do generally in the mornings? Early in the morning, what did He do? Being a human being, guess what else he did early in the morning? Probably after he prayed. I bet he did. I bet he did. He lived here. He was a people on purpose. He put on flesh. He got his feelings hurt. He, he helped people with hurt feelings. He loved people with hurt feelings. He encouraged people... Uh, he occasionally rebuked and corrected people. Did he ever rebuke or correct Simon Peter? <laughs> yeah, he did. Hmm. Did Simon Peter ever disappoint himself? Yeah. Did he ever fail? Yeah. Did he ever break a promise? Yeah, he even broke promises that he, if you make them to somebody else, then you're also making them to yourself. Yeah, he did. Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. How about this? From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. And if you're just interested in some religious dialogue and participation in ceremonies, then that'd suit you fine. 
But if you're looking for grace and truth in all its fullness, that didn't come in the law of Moses, did it? It came through Jesus Christ. Now, this is what he says. We have beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only. There's not anybody ever like him. Jesus is one of a kind. The glory of the one and only came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Nobody has ever seen God who is spirit, but God, the one and only, the one who is in the bosom of the Father, the one who is at the Father's side, the one who is the Father's fellow, he came and he made him known, right? So with those three or four verses in mind, let's hop over here to John 21. Jesus did, backing up for two verses, Jesus did in the presence of his disciples. He did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may too believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and believing that, finding him, you may have eternal life. The life that is in God is made available to you. You could have quit the letter right there. But he didn't. And don't let some weirdo talk. Well, this is probably some. This ain't probably. This is in every, every. There is not a manuscript of John without this 21st chapter in there. Mm Mm-mm. No, this is in here. He's already said everything you need to say. What's he doing now? Got to be something in here. Let's read. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened in this way. Here's what you need to know. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, That's two more. And two other disciples, that's seven, I count. Not everybody, seven. There's still four more. But seven of them were together. As for me, I go fishing. Literally, that's what Simon Peter says. As for me, I'm a fisherman. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we will go with you. Well, he's having a big impact on a majority of the apostles, isn't he? We will go with you. In the spirit of fishing, I'll clean my glasses there. And so they went out and they got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? And then they all swallowed. That's my conjecture. When you go out to do what it is you do for a living, 
and you didn't get it done, now what? He's not fishing for fun. He's fishing to make a living. That's what he does. No. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat. They're so close he can talk to them. Really? Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. They're not fishing up here. You know what they're doing up here? Close enough you can talk to somebody on the bank. They're done fishing. They're cleaning their nets. They're through. Then go, let's try right up here by the... No, they're done. Throw your nets on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him because he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. This is how close they are to the bank. He ain't swimming anywhere. He jumped into the water and the disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish for they are not far from the shore about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire burning there with uh, coals, a fire of coals burning there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. And Simon Peter climbed aboard and he dragged the net ashore and it was full of fish. We'll be specific, 153 very large fish. But even with so many, the net was not torn. If you're a fisherman, that must be an impressive statement. Because he mentions it twice. The net was not torn like somebody expected it would be. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. This is God talking, isn't it? Isn't it? The Word, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And he said, here's an idea. Y'all come. Have breakfast. Really? Really? Why would they be hungry? You know why I like cut firewood when it's cold, Jim? Man, I'm motivated. I am. I'm motivated. I hate cutting firewood in the summer, not just because rattlesnakes and fire ants. So I, we're not plagued with those up here. So up here, I might like it, Paul. There's just this motivation because there's this anticipation of satisfaction. And they're not catching these fish to eat, but they are catching these fish so they can eat, right? Mm -hmm. So when fishermen fished all night and they caught no fishes, now what are they? Thrilled. They're so encouraged that they have... No, they're not. No, they're not. They're discouraged. Is it any work? I guarantee you it's work. There's seven people on that boat, and I, they ain't, none of them is not wore smack dab smooth out. They're not going out there for fun. They went out there to work. Yes, sir? You're 
studied this quite a bit before. Is any significance to him saying there was a, 153 mm -hmm. fish? I think there's a lot of significance in that. The proof I've got from the text is 153 large fish are enough to tear most nets that they use. 153 large fish is an exact historical number. If there was 100, throw the book in the trash. If there was 280, you can chunk the book. You, you know, this is not, mm -mm. when the police come around, something's been happening and they're shining flashlights in people's eyes. When people, somebody's got somebody sitting on a courtroom stand and they've done swore in to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and you say, we caught 153 fish, you doggone well better have caught 153 fish. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Is this testimony? Can we put John on the stand? How many fish they catch, John? 153. I can't verify it. The people, this was written down and circulated within one generation. Don't ever let anybody take a stand against that because there is, there is abundant physical manuscript attestation to the fact that this original letter was written, it was circulated, the, the copies of this written letter were circulated well before the end of the first century. Even if this is the last book of the New Testament that's written, before 94 AD, people are quoting this like everybody knows what it is and where it came from. Is that, is that important? That's real important when you start talking about people is this the word of God? No, then tell me what it is. It's at least historical eyewitness account. That's what John said. So I don't get sidetracked on that too much, but there is real significance. This is the kind of thing, if there's not 153, you just, just say they caught a whole bunch of fish. When men are making up lies, do they give you specific numbers? Do they give you specific names and times and dates and places? No. Why? Because when you get specific historical facts, what can you do with those facts? Exactly. And that's what the cross-examining attorney will do. Today than we ever have. 14 million pounds in one day, and here's what we, uh-uh. You're going to talk about it and tell people, and they're going to want to see the net that didn't break. So it's not just these men that saw it, they were going to have talked about it. And this brings a message to the people who heard it. Yes. And I got a real good notion. Now, this is my, this is my conclusion. John said what he said on purpose, and he wrote it to people who were there who would understand it, and it was circulated within that generation. Not like people, not like stuff people do. No, it was too. This spoke to those people. Okay? Let's just read a little more. We'll keep going. Uh, it's the Lord. He took off. They're 100 yards from shore. When they landed, they saw fire. Come bring some of the fish you caught. Okay, 153, sorry. Jesus said to them, come have breakfast. Just let that soak in. If you're looking for Jesus, what'd that tell you about him? 
how bad do these guys need some breakfast? I guarantee you when they got home, what's the first thing they're looking for? I guarantee you. No, they've just been working. They've worked and they worked and they worked and they worked and they got nothing to show for it. They are discouraged. They are extremely hungry. Interesting. Hmm. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. Does that remind you of anything? What in chapter 6? I mean, they're tired in chapter 6, I bet. Everybody else is. They're hungry in chapter 6, I bet. Everybody else is. And he takes the little boy's lunch, and he gives them the bread and the fish, and tells them, do what with it? Y'all have a good time, eat all you want when y'all get real good and full? No, that's not what he said. He gave them the bread and the fish and said what? You go feed everybody supper. Well, of course, you're feeding a multitude. Is Jesus feeding a multitude? Is he glorifying himself to 20,000 people here? Or is he having breakfast with some friends? Would this get real personal real quick? It's not, you go meet everybody's need, Paul. Brother, I know you're discouraged. I know you're wore smack dab smooth out. You're hungry. You've now realized you don't have a clue. Now, I've just blown you away here in about the last five minutes with, with generosity. You can't even get your, your, now your adrenaline's pumping, your heart is racing. Don't you know some of them's going, one more time over here on the right. This, you know, there ain't nobody ever caught on fish over here. Okay, what do we got to loot? <laughs> Told you we'd get hung. No, wait, we're not hung up. What is that? Before they get these, feet, these fish in the boat, did they get a surge of adrenaline? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. We didn't take instructions from a ghost. We didn't have conversations with a man on the beach we didn't know who was start with with a ghost. We didn't just eat breakfast with a ghost. No, he is too, raised from the dead. And this wasn't just some, no, he just proved himself all over again to be the son of God. You don't think this 153 fish deal does that again in their minds? Uh Uh-huh. Uh Uh-huh. When they finished eating, and I thought, I said that about the, I thought it mentioned twice. I guess it didn't about the net. When they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish, That was verse 6. And he said, bring some of the fish you've caught. And Peter climbed aboard 
and dragged the net ashore. I guess he just mentioned that the net wasn't torn but once. So I stand corrected. But I think that's significant. So here we are. What is it according to Peter that he, that he does and he needs to go do? Verse 3. What does Peter need to go do? What's he going to do? Verse 3. And they're not playing cards, are they? Okay. When they had finished eating, not before, but when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Now, some people will say, well, he's talking about more than the other disciples. Uh, I think some versions even say that. Do you love me? Well, you don't. The, there's just the pronoun, and there's no way to tell if he's talking about men or fish, as far as I know. But has Jesus ever taught them that some of them love him more than others, and they need to figure out who loves him the most? Has he done the antithesis of that? Do they do that? They start trying to create a hierarchy within themselves all the time, don't they? And they get in trouble for it every time, don't they? So I don't think he's asking Peter, do you love me more than everybody else does? That seems like the antithesis of what Jesus has done. Do you love me more than these? What did Peter say he does? He fishes. Well, you fished all night and you caught nothing, and now that I got involved, you got more fish than you ought to do with. So what is it you love? Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Now, John's already said about Jesus that he knows what's within a man, right? Chapter 2, verse about 25. He didn't need man's testimony about man. He already knew what was in a man. Does Jesus know if Peter loves him or not? Why is he asking him? He's not collecting data. Wants him to think about it. Wants him to think about it. What am I, what, how's all this? You see, what, I'm, I'm still, I haven't left this yet. As you're reading this, what does it tell you about Jesus? Tells me he sent the Spirit, the Father sent the Spirit in his name. He can say 153 if he wants to, because there was 153 large fish in that net. And that's so many fish that you'd expect it got tore, but it didn't get tore. And he told the truth, and he is God's grace and fullness and all of its truth. And God's grace and God's fullness and all of its truth is not impractical at all. Matter of fact, it'll feed breakfast to hungry, discouraged, war completely out friends. Yes, ma'am? Peter's last big act was to tell Jesus, I'll follow you into death. And Jesus said, you won't make it through the night three times before the rooster. You're going to deny me. That had to have weighed on Peter's heart. You think? That's why I loved him. Apparently, there's something wrong because I can't even admit that I know the man, much less that I'm a follower. And, and, and to boot, I'm a fisherman and I go fishing. 
And I can't apparently catch fish. Peter can't do anything. He said that in front of his friends. Who did he? Who, he knows what he's saying. You think he's going to go fish by himself? You can't fish the way they fish by yourself. He said, I'm going fishing. And seven men said, you know what? Us too. Why? Because we expect, I mean, when Peter goes fishing, you catch fish. We can get something done here. So my, my pondering is, isn't it like Jesus to help Peter know that he really does love Jesus? Even though he's failed at it and failed at his profession, he really does love Jesus. Does that sound like Jesus that we've met in the Gospel of John? Does he take things that are a waste of time and inadequate and not enough and didn't get anything done? And does he go, hang on, boys. You don't need a better net. You don't need a bigger boat. Let's put it right here. Because I said so. That's all you need. Is Jesus the kind of guy who gives encouragement? What did he just pray in chapter 17? I have not lost one. Before Peter denies him, what did he say? I have not. You don't think Peter's there listening to that prayer? Peter's there listening to that prayer. I have not lost one of these you gave me. Except the one that we all knew I'd already lost anyway because he didn't love me and believe me to start with. You're telling me? Peter's discouraged on so many levels, it ain't funny. And when he figures out the Lord's on the bank, he didn't say, hey, y'all, come on and get breakfast. That's not what he said. John just said, you know, that's the Lord right there. <laughs> Peter going straight to him. Isn't he? <clears throat> huh. Isn't that amazing? It's always amazing to me well, that's a side note. That's amazing. I think this is worth considering. Why? Well, the puzzle piece fits. The puzzle piece fits. Does that fit with what I know about Jesus? Uh-huh. Do you love me more than these? Lord, you know. Peter knows that he knows the answer to this question. In the verse 15, you know that I love you. He didn't say, you, well, I sure do. Let me prove it. He said, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, then see how much you can fish. Get back out in the boat and catch some more. My purpose, Peter, not yours. Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, again, you know that I love you. Jesus said, don't try to fix everything by going fishing, Peter. Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, I wonder if that's what everybody at the boat dock called him. The sons of Zebedee. Well, that's Simon, son of John's boat. 
Why would he be talking about John? John's fisherman too. His daddy's fisherman too. Simon, son of John, I don't know why, I'm just asking, just wondering. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time something Jesus already knew the answer to. Hmm. Simon, son of John, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, yeah, I, I asked you a question I already knew the answer to. Why? To get you to confess it right here in front of everybody. Let's get down to something that matters, Peter. And what matters is you not promising me that you'll never fail me and you'll fix the situation and you'll take care of me and you'll hold your end of things up and you'll do this and you'll do that. That ain't it, Peter. The thing you got to hold on to is who I am. And you do too love me, don't you? Yes, sir, I do. And people make a big deal out of John swapping uh, agapao or or agapa, a form of agape and a form of phileo, that if you're interested, I got seven or eight verses and those are switched and it doesn't matter. And it's talking about the father loving the son and the son loving the father and the father loving the church. And that's all over the New Testament. I'm convinced I don't have anything to do with anything. To back up and look, what is he telling us? about God being full of grace and truth. Not only am I going to take care of your little, well, I need to fish and make a living since I'm not, I've messed up the disciple thing. I can't stand up for Jesus when I'm supposed to thing. And well, least I can do is go out here and work hard and work all night and make some money for my, I took care of that deal. Now would you sit down and have breakfast? That's amazing to me. Jesus is so powerful and so full of authority and so absolutely practical. He's just practical. He's just practical, isn't he? Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. This is verse 18. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. Boy, I mean, you had life going your way. You were in a driver's seat, Peter. But when you were old, not so much. Not so much. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you. That don't sound real encouraging, does it? And lead you where you do not want to go. That sounds not so encouraging and real personal, doesn't it? Jesus said this. You want to get more than that? Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Whoa, how did we jump, what? 
How do we get from eating breakfast and making make, me making a lot of money, you fixing me breakfast and me making a lot of money, and do I love you, do I love you, do I love you? How did we jump from that over to this? Feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. Feed my sheep. I'm not telling you that you're going to, I'm telling you, you said over here the other day, you'd die for me. I'm telling you, you sure will. But it's not going to be, they're not going to write poems about, Peter had a sword and killed 43 and then he fell. They ain't going to be like that. It's going to be real humbling. It's going to be humbling. By which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. That's all. Not keep your promises and never make a mistake again. Follow me. We went from go fish, that's Peter's answer, to Jesus' invitation, follow me. Why? You know I have the words of life. You know I have, you know my purpose is redemption. You know I'm the Messiah. You don't understand yet, but Acts 2 is coming rather quickly. Peter turned and he saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. I guess they're walking off and he's telling Peter all this. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said to him, Lord, who's going to betray you? I don't have any idea who that could be other than John who writes the letter and all the puzzle pieces fit for that. So Peter has found out what's up for him eventually someday when he's old. And now all of a sudden, he's interested in John. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Well, why's Peter doing that? I think he's like me. He's got to keep directing him. Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Just worry about this, Peter. Follow me. Follow me. Can John follow Jesus for Peter? Whether or not John follows Jesus or what happens to John, does that make any difference with Peter? Peter has a personal invitation to do what? Follow me. Just keep looking for me, Peter. Just remember who you're looking for. Just remember who you're following and just keep at it. Feed my lambs, take, feed my sheep, take care of my lambs and feed my sheep on the way as you're following me. Don't do that. Outside. I don't have a bunch of stuff I didn't get done I need you to do. He's not assigning Peter chores. He's telling Peter, here's what you're going to do. Follow me. As you're following me, here's what I want you to do. It's personal. Peter can do it or not. And it doesn't have anything to do with John. 
Because of this, this was, here's just some more historical record. Because of this, the conversation they just had, the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple, John, would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Has no impact. Quit, evade, quit, quit worrying about anybody else and everybody else. I recommend that for us as a congregation. Well, this church over here, what is that to you? What about them? Well, this church down here, what about them? We're not them. Well, what about this sister? You're not her. It's you. It's me. It's me. This is for me. There's an opportunity for me to follow him. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that this is his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Did John write down everything Jesus ever did or said? Is that needed? No. Is this a plenty? Mm-hmm. This is a plenty to do what? Give life eternal. Well, it's not in here. No, it is too in here. No, it is too in here. It is too. It's here. Is Romans good? I love it. It saved my life. Do I want to study it? Uh-huh. It's a little bit different letter than this one right here. This is a tiny, tiny. You just get a normal little Bible, and it's about 8 to 13 pages. It's not 57,000 words. That's the whole book. And counted the words in the Gospel of John. Be my guest. They ain't many. And this would do it. And there's enough in here to prove that Jesus is exactly who he said he was, and that's the Son of God, and that's exactly who you need him to be. And he's probably, he is who he is on his terms. And when he is who he is, when he cooks breakfast for these men and no crowds are involved, no servitudes involved, they're not doing a good job of anything. They're being discouraged. They're feeling sorry for themselves. They've messed up and they remember it. They hadn't done any better than Jesus did, than, than Peter did. They all scattered. Jesus told them they would. It is written, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. He said, every one of y'all will desert me tonight. And they did. You think they're real happy about that? They didn't know what to do. There wasn't anything they could do. Does Jesus need them to do everything they can do? Or is Jesus who just who Jesus is? Yeah. Is he calling them to do things that I think it's interesting that he told Peter, this is the very cotton-picking thing Peter said, I will do 
I will never forsake you. I will follow you. Let's go die. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. I'm going. Peter's, uh, Jesus, I appreciate that sentiment. And you know what? If that's what you want, buddy, you got it. That's going to take 30 years. But that's okay. I got some sheep for you to feed. I got some lambs for you to take care of. I got some feet, some sheep for you to feed, Peter. Feed them what? Feed them who I am. Tell them who I am. Remember who I am. When they fish all night and they catch no fishes, you remind them. When, when they promise and they fail, you remind them. When they get to an event that's supposed to glorify God and his purpose for his people and it blows up in their face, you tell them that story. When they're trying to do something to take care of other people and they lack anything whatsoever to do with it, you remind them who I am. John Vanspiration wrote it down. I don't mean to fuss at anybody about understanding. If you don't understand the gospel of John, one of the reasons I picked it, I keep saying it's first grade Greek and first grade English. It is too. There's not long sentences. There's not complicated words. John's not a lawyer and he doesn't write like one. And the message of God is that simple if we'll let it be. But he's not going to force it on us, brothers and sisters. There is such inspiration. This, this, if we can just hear the message of this letter, it will just call us to him. He keeps coming to them. Rabbis don't do that. You crucify a rabbi, he stays dead. God raised him from the dead, just like he said he would. He didn't come to them at their best. Bless their heart, I don't ever see them at their best. He keeps coming to them at their greatest need. That's when he keeps showing up. And he gives what nobody else can give. Isn't he something? Isn't he something? He's the reason we don't quit. Yes, sir? When he says follow me, it doesn't just mean to follow where he's going. He means just like the song of the Lord. Don't look back. Keep keep coming. Keep coming. Just always come this way. Just Peter, I'm doing this all the time. When I changed the water to wine, guess what I was doing? When I fed the multitudes, guess what? When I healed the lame man, Peter, guess what I was doing? When I raised Lazarus from the when I waited three days to go to Lazarus while he was good and dead, guess what I was doing? When I told you, you're not going to make it till daylight, I wouldn't. Guess what I was doing? Come on, Peter. You're not going to make it till daylight. Will you follow me anyway? 
You're going to be crying scared like a little baby. Will you follow me anyway? You're going to fish all night and catch no fishes. Will you follow me anyway? See, he's calling us. Will we follow him anyway? We will too. We will not cease to follow him because we don't know anybody. We never met anybody like him. We couldn't imagine anybody like him. That's not God's word. Men don't make people like that up. Men dream up all this stuff. It doesn't make any sense and it doesn't do any good. Every bit of this makes sense. And it does too do some good. It gives life. Life is to be found in him. Well, I didn't follow him very good. Well, oh, well's not doing a very good job. Why am I worried? What? Don't take this. Don't take all this stuff about Jesus and turn around and make it about you. It's not about you. It's just an invitation to you. It's an invitation to me. This is not good teaching material. This is word that gives life. And anytime I approach it as less than an opportunity, again, eternal life is not just something that happens to me and I get and I go my merry way because he said what? I already cleansed you, Peter. He said in 13, I already cleansed you with the word. You already broke your promise. You already proved you can't do what you're good at. That's it. Just follow me. Why? Because how could you keep from it? I just want you to know that me being me doesn't mean you'll always catch fishes. Me being me doesn't mean you'll always keep every promise. Me being me doesn't mean that you'll always do the right thing. Me being me is an invitation every single day especially when we need it the worst. Let's pray. Almighty God and Father in heaven, Father, we love you. We love you for the God you are. We, we, you are the creator of all things. You give all men life, breath, and everything else. We get sidetracked in and and hung up in and distracted by everything in the world. And Jesus is still exactly who he claims to be. He is the son of God. He is the Christ. He is the king. He is the promised Messiah. He is the one who reigns and rules over all things on behalf of the church. He is the powerful living mediator between God and man. He is the one who paid the price to reveal you in a way that we could understand, Father, a little bit more than we ever dreamed of, really. If we will but listen, we can understand how you are because we can see it in Jesus and that's terms we can understand. 
He loved you enough and he was dedicated, Father, to your purpose enough. And he cared enough about what happened to us to give himself up for us. And he bore the cross that we might live. And he came back from death and Hades to immortality and proved it, Father, in these resurrection appearances. And proved it again, Father, in the sending of the Spirit to these apostles. He changed their lives forever, Father, because they were willing to let him. The truth about him It is enough. It is enough to give us life. Would you bless us as we study it, as we seek for him in it, as bless us, Father, as we seek to follow him. He is our focus. He is the object of our faith. And following him, Father, is the thing before us. And when we follow him and when we seek him, Father, the truth and the grace that he is full of becomes ours. And there's nothing more effective and more productive than that right there. And we will grow, Father, as we know you and as we love you and as we follow him. And when we look at ourselves and depend on ourselves, there's every, every opportunity for us to fail and the knowledge and the grace that are ours in Jesus Christ. Help us, Father. Help us to look to him. Help us to follow him. Help us to trust him. Help us to be fruitful, effective, productive, and be as stars shining in the darkness because of him. Thank you for our time we've had these last few months, Father, in, the, in your word, especially in John's letter. Help us to read it, Father, anytime we do with great expectation and anticipation of your will being done in our lives, of your son being revealed and reflected in us. We love you and we thank you for our time together. Bless it in any way that will bring you glory. It's through Jesus who died in our behalf. We pray these things now. Amen. Peace. I encourage you to read the Gospel of John as you can and to keep those things in mind.